All right, how you doing? Good. Feeling good? Feeling happy? Feeling summery? A little bit. All right. <laughs> All right. I should have stopped while I was ahead. All right. It was like, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> good to see everybody today. And um, it is a pleasure um, to be here with you. Um, again, uh, thank you for all of uh, your prayers. Um, again, thank you, as Chris has said, for all those who participated with our um, Cards of Hope and other ways to uh, serve the city. And um, thank you so much um, for uh, those who are praying as we go to serve our church there and uh, not, um, not only minister to the city of Luxembourg, but also to serve our church in uh, Paris. And so they're excited we're coming. They need some help. And we're coming to give it to them. And so um, it is good to be with you uh, today. We are continuing our um, series, which has been called the Exodus Chronicles. And as we've been talking about the Exodus Chronicles, what we've been talking about is really how the people of God really bring or derive principles from the Old Testament scriptures, which all ultimately foreshadow and point to the person of Jesus Christ and his atoning work in our lives, his supernatural work in our lives, and ultimately set us free from our former bondage and bring us into the life of freedom in him. And so what we're doing is we're actually going through the book of Exodus thematically, and we're actually finding how we can walk with God in a powerful manner. And so um, today what we're doing is we're going into actually the Passover, because what we talked about last week was understanding how the judgments of God can actually be the mercy of God to lead us to repentance and faith to bring us into the life of God. How many people say amen to that? Not always fun, but the judgments of God can actually bring us into the mercy of God to bring us into the freedom of God, right? And so ultimately, we embrace all of God, all of God and how he does things, all of his ways and his kindness towards us. And today, what we're doing is we're um, ending on that last little segment where he was actually having to judge the firstborn, and it was ultimately pointing to the person of Jesus, who God would give his own firstborn son for our deliverance. But he talked about a celebration that would really be enacted for the people of Israel year after year as a remembrance of this deliverance, a remembrance of the freedom that he's trying to bring each and every one of us into. And that celebration was the Passover. And so today we're going to be focusing on this question, what are the means by which God provides permanent change in your life? What are the means by which God provides permanent change in your life? Because God is not just a yo-yo artist. Anybody remember playing with yo-yos back in the day? Right? Anybody try to trick them out? Right? You know, doing like have the spinning on the ground and snap them back, or at least all commercials where they did that, and you're like, no, that's dope. You know what I mean? And so here's the thing about it God's not like that. God says, the change that I do in your life, I want to be ongoing, permanent, progressive, and all through your remembrance of what I did through you for you through my Passover lamb. So our focus today is going to be this that through the Passover, we see God's mechanisms for ongoing and permanent change in our lives. Through the Passover, we see God's mechanisms for ongoing and permanent change in our lives. And we're gonna break the message down into those three parts. We're gonna talk first about ongoing change. We're gonna talk secondly about permanent change. And then finally, we're going to talk about the Passover lamb. So that when you read that Bible, and we know we all have Jewish friends who year after year celebrate the Passover, right? But what is its significance to us in Christ today of that Passover? that God said to celebrate year after year. Well, we're going to talk about that today and how that was found in the person of Jesus Christ. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word to us today. And we thank you that, God, you've given us a freedom that comes only in your son. 
And God, we're praying that wherever we started today, that God, you would lead us to a place of great faith for the ongoing change, the permanent change, and ultimately life through your son, our Passover lamb, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so let's first talk about ongoing change. Ongoing change. The first thing that we need to understand is that to come into the freedom that God has for you will require ongoing change in your life. To come into the freedom that God has for you will require ongoing change in your life. And a lot of times, I, I don't know about you, but I, I love talking to uh, people. I mean, even this past week, um, there was a young man who, <clears throat> because of uh, uh, some issues that we had in our home, there was a uh, plumbing issue, a little bit of leakage in the apartment, and it was not fun, you know what I mean? But we had to thank God, you know what I mean, for these uh, whatever home warranty things that you have, you know what I mean, where you pay a little deductible and then they take care of the rest. Well, there was a young man who came over and had been coming over for previous issues, and we got to talk. We got to talk about his life and the things of God. He was a plumber who came into our home. And then ultimately, as we dined over a brunch, Yes, because that's what we do in Chicago, right? We brunch, right? <laughs> sort of like dining over a brunch. Well, this young man telling me his story and telling me about his life and, um, you know, in the past and what brought him to where he was today. Ultimately, we started talking about Jesus, and Jesus was made alive to him. And ultimately, at the end of our time together, our brunch, he wanted to give his life to Jesus. Isn't that good news? Yeah, so he came in to fix. He came in to fix some plumbing, but then got his plumbing fixed. Okay, so like, got his plumbing fixed, and he's excited about going through the one-to-one. -one. He's excited about, you know, he's sharing this with who he calls his lady, right? And, and their young child, we're going to bring them all in, right? Because the Bible says that believe that both you and your household will be saved. And so with that in mind, we see that it's not just a prayer that he prayed, though. What I'm immediately telling him is like, listen, that prayer you prayed is just the beginning, that confession you made is just the beginning. And if you came to repentance and you put your faith in this living God, you've got to know this, that for you to come into all that God has for you in your lifetime, it's going to take not just a sinner's prayer. How many people can say amen to that? But a commitment to ongoing change in your life. And it does not matter how long you've been walking with God. If you've been walking with God five years, if you've been walking with God five months, if you've been walking with God 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, how many people know that there's still a change that God wants to produce in your life? It's an ongoing change to bring you progressively by the power of God's word and the Holy Spirit who lives in you into the complete, not partial, but the complete freedom that he has for you in Christ. And so we pick this up today in Exodus chapter 12, talking about the Passover. It says in verse 1, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man, every one of us, every one of us, and that includes for us every man, woman, and child, shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbors shall take according to the number of persons, according to that which each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year old. You, shall, you may take it from the sheep or the goats, 
and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month. When the whole assembly, everybody say the whole assembly, of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood, sign of death, and put it on the doorpost and the lintel of the houses in which they eat. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Bitter herbs, not sweet herbs, and that's unfortunate. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. You're eaten while you're seemingly dressed to go somewhere. <laughs> eaten on the go, right? He says, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. As we talked about last week, I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. That's the Passover, okay? I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. <clears throat> okay. So all of a sudden, we are talking about the work of God in our lives, and we ultimately many times think that as Christians, you know, if we've walked with God for any period of time, once we have the basic and fundamental scripture in us or the basic knowledge of the things of God, then we have somehow arrived. We have somehow have gotten the information that we need. We somehow know how to check all the boxes. How about this? We've done the purple book, right? We've done the purple book and we've done all the things that we need to do to actually make ourselves significant or de de decent Christians in the world around us. But what we see is that, contrary to how Pharaoh responded to God's judgment, the, the Passover exemplifies how the Lord instructed the people to respond to his offer of freedom. And God would lead his people through commands that were to be obeyed, and how about this word, rituals. Rituals that were to be observed that would construct their life of worship. That would construct their life of worship and be a, a, an avenue or a pathway to ongoing change in their lives. He says, this great deliverance that I'm going to give you out of the land of Egypt, that's a one-time affair. How many people know that it wasn't every year that God was letting out ten plagues against the land in which the Israelites lived? Every year, ten plagues came. Oh, it's about that time. <laughs> the hail's coming, the frogs are coming, right? The gnats are coming up. It wasn't every year that something like this was happening. But God did say, there's going to be a remembrance of that which I did. And in your life, when God comes and shows up in power, he comes to set you free in a powerful way that forever changes you, but then gives you mechanisms by which you'll always remember that which he did in your life. And it's a reference point to you that should never get old, should never get dry, but actually should be increasing, progressive, and, on, and produce ongoing change in your life that it should just be the starting place but what you have to realize is that is that these festivals and observances introduced by moses to the israelites were all new to the israelites at the time 
You realize that? Whenever this Passover was first discussed, it's not like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob already had that as part of their family tradition. And they were just passing it down, you know what I mean, accordingly, saying, if you're going to serve God, this is what you do. When God showed up in this powerful way in the Israelites' lives, he says, I've got some new patterns for you. I've got some new rituals for you. I've got some new things that you need to give yourself to if you're actually going to see the ongoing change that I want to produce in your life come about. And a lot of times what we try to reduce our walk with God to is just one sinner's prayer. Just one moment in time where I had this encounter with God and then I'm good. I got my get out of hell free card and I'm good for the rest of my life. Anybody ever lived like that before? I have plenty of friends who lived like that. They were like, listen, man, I said the prayer. When? 1962. <laughs> How you been living since? Like hell, baby, but I got my card. Right? And God's like, no way, no how. I'm going to introduce to you new rhythms, new patterns, new rituals that are going to define your life of worship so that the thing that I did for you in the midst of that miracle coming out of Egypt, you would not only continue to reference, but you continue to walk in the power of it unto, unto ongoing change. Because how many people know that when you said that sinner's prayer, you weren't completely like Jesus at that point? And I realize that. You, all you did when you said that sinner's prayer was receive the grace of God. You said, God, thank you. Thank you for not destroying me like you're destroying the world around me. Thank you for having mercy on me, not treating me as my sins deserve. Thank you, God, for giving me a pathway to the life and the life abundant that you have for me, even though I deserve death and hell. Thank you, God. That's what that sinner's prayer was about. And God says in response to that, he makes us a new creation in Christ, right? He makes you a new man, a new woman, sets you free from the inside out. But then he says that process of justification is immediately followed by another one called sanctification. Justification is God teaching you that I'm going to treat you because of Jesus, because of the Passover lamb, as if you've never sinned. It's a legal term, right? Where God looks at you, he looks at the blood that covers your life, and he says, innocent. Innocent in my sight because, not of what you've done, but because of what the Lamb did for you. But then the rest of our lives, it's sanctification. Where that word means he's setting us apart to be like him. He's setting us apart to be worshipers. He's setting us apart to actually live in the life that he's called us to and forever change us that we might ultimately be conformed, not only to, into his image, but ultimately into his purposes. But it takes new and introduced rhythms in our lives. As you follow Jesus, there are also new rhythms and rituals introduced into your life to continue the process of ongoing transformation. These changes bring us out of the bondage to which we've become accustomed to the freedom that is ultimately found in Jesus. And what we see is that when Jesus, when God introduces these new patterns, he starts with our priorities. You see that in that scripture? He starts with our priorities. God starts by changing your calendar and how you spend your time. You see that? 
The first thing that God did, he said, I'm bringing you out, but I've got some new patterns for you. And I'm going to reorder your entire calendar so much so that regardless of how you reference the year prior to this time, now this celebration of the Passover for you represents the beginning of your year. It's the start of your year. And before you do anything else in your year, I want you to remember me and my deliverance for you. I'm reordering your priorities. That was new to the Israelites. But what were they going to say? Well, God, I, I was kind of used to, uh, you know, every, every fourth month, you know, crying out to you and, you know, on my slavery, you know, waiting on your deliverance. He's like, yeah, right. But now I'm first. Now I want to be at the apex. Now I want to be the first thing that you think about or reminded of and do. The filter through which you live all the rest of your life. And in the celebration of the Passover, God made sure to say that the first thing that the Israelites would do, celebrate year after year was a reminder of his deliverance. What we need to understand is that there will be no permanent change in our lives without a change in priorities. There will be no permanent change in our lives without a reordering of our priorities. Let me give you an example. Only because we're, again, in the summer months. If you have ever <laughs> wanted to go to the beach and feel footloose and fancy free, and at the beginning of the year you were like, listen, I want some change in my life. And what I'm going to do, let me, let me give you my story, is I'm going to stop going to sprinkles. Every week, ordering, every other night, yes, it was a line item. And I did that for a while. And then crumbles came. Does anybody know what crumbles is? Yeah, we have great affection for crumbles. Big, not small, but big. Delicious, succulent, buttery cookies with all types of icing. And I said for a while, I'm committed to not going to sprinkles. I'm making it a priority. But as soon as I let one God die, another came for my affections. And I said, this is hard. Jesus said it would be to follow him, but in the same way, unless there's going to be a commitment to permanent change, a difference in priorities, how many people know this? My wife is training for a marathon. She is, that's right, okay, love it. Yeah, let's give it up for B. Oh yeah, oh she's awesome. Love it. And what I'm doing, she's always teasing me. She's like, Ronald, you going to the gym to fall asleep on the recumbent bike? <laughs> and I'm like, yes, I am. <laughs> yes, I am. That's right. That's right. These are truths in our household. And if I want real change in my life, there's got to be a change in priorities, right? I cannot do what my wife does right now. 
I'd get out there and I'd get sometimes winded by walking too fast. Anybody else with me? It's hot out there. I'm like, whoo, slow down. <laughs> Permanent change comes through a change of priorities. God said that in his word. The first thing that I'm going to do, the first thing that I'm going to do is change your priorities. And those who think themselves exceptions to God's change in priorities are those who inevitably find themselves deceived and then eventually cut off from the people of God. The whole congregation of the Israelites were to celebrate the Passover and there was no exception. There was no exception. Those who think themselves exceptions miss the process of sanctification when you are destined to become more and more like Christ. Understanding that you never have the right to stop changing as you follow Jesus. You hear me? We never have the right to stop changing as we follow Jesus. When's the last time you were able to recognize a change in your life? When's the last time somebody actually pinpointed something in you, right? Where they said, you know what? You used to respond like this. This was a trigger for you. Every time, every time I would bring up this issue, it would be a trigger. You remember? But now I've seen something different in you. I've seen something different in you, and now... My goodness, you're responding with a patience I've never seen in you before. You're responding with a love I've never seen in you before. You're responding in a way that there's some change in you. What's different about you? And all you could say is, the grace of God, I've been looking to Jesus. Not just to love me, but to change me. And each time that you worship, it's an opportunity to bring more not less of yourself to God. Each time that you worship, it's an opportunity to bring more and not less of yourself to God. You know why a lot of people are bored with religion? Because they think it's the same thing over and over and over again without actual change in their lives. You remember being there as a, maybe if you grew up in church as a young person? It was like, listen, I... I hear the same message, I read the same thing, but I, I'm, it's like there's nothing, nothing doing. How many people know that's not God's intention? God's intention is I'm setting up these rituals, these habits, these patterns, so that every time you come to meet with me, there would actually be a change in your life when I reorder your priorities. See, every time we come in, we're not just coming here to sing songs. We're not just coming here to laugh a little bit. We're not just coming here to, you know, thank God for all of his goodness. What we're coming each time to do is lay something down in our heart that has previously been more important to us than God and say, God, as I lay this down, I'm asking you to change me. And as I take up your word, I'm asking you to fill me with the faith that can actually keep me. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. We can actually not be just have an ongoing change, but a permanent change. It said that the whole lamb was to be cooked, including the head and the inner parts. In coming to Christ, God deals with the whole man from his actions to the innermost ambitions of the heart. 
and all motives are to be processed and submitted at the table of the Lord. The command not to eat um, any, uh, leave any of the meal until morning speaks not only of submitting every area of your life to Christ, but also not procrastinating in doing so. You ever heard the term before, procrastination kills the cat? <laughs> How many people have ever had God put his finger on something in your life before, and you were like, I hear you, I feel you, but I'm not quite ready to let you get, let you have it. Have I been there before? And God's like, stop procrastinating. You see over and over again in this passage about the Passover, he's talking about eating the meal in haste. And the more we relent to God through his prescribed manner of worship, the more we enter into the freedom for which Christ died to usher us. There was a man named Henry Blackaby. You might have, uh, if you're old enough, remember the uh, book, uh, Experiencing God. Anybody remember that book? Okay. So there was a man named Henry Blackaby who actually said this. Jesus taught that your highest priority must be your relationship with him. If anything detracts you from that relationship, that activity is not from God. God will not ask you to do something that hinders your relationship with Christ. Does that make sense to anybody in here? If God's ultimate goal is that you would love him, follow him, be with him forever, right? And he says, I've called you not only to know me, walk with me, be with me, love me, but also that I might be with you and actually walk with you in all the things that I've called you to be and do, right? Is God, God, not us, but is God going to call you to do something that actually contradicts that? Many of us are running after things that directly contradict our devotion to God. Anybody, anybody know what I'm talking Anybody have ever been there before? But God's like, I'm not going to call you to do something to be something that directly contradicts the very command that I've made clear in Scripture. That's why a man named J. Oswald Chambers, in my utmost for his highest, actually says your priorities must be God first, God second, and God third, until your life is continually face-to-face -face with God. And my challenge to all of us is think about how that plays out in your life. How does that play out in your life? What is it that's continually competing for the priorities that God's trying to reorder that you might actually love him? The truth is, is that to the degree that we hold back or ignore his specific commands in various areas of our lives is the measure that we will remain in slavery in that particular area. He says, what you don't allow me to touch, what you don't allow me to have, that, would, that is the area that you're relegating to slavery. When you give all areas to me, that is when I come in and bring freedom in whatever I touch. Whatever you've relented to me. That's the point of his freedom through the Passover. What we need to think are basically routines, rituals, and redemption. Routines, rituals, and redemption. Routines, rituals, and redemptions. Those aren't bad words. Nowadays, we treat them as if they are, right? If anything speaks of discipline, we think that it's almost like constraining, conflicting, right? But routines, rituals, and disciplines, God talked about them all the time for our benefit to construct our life of worship. 
and routines, when we think routines were a product of our habits and God introduces rituals to conform us to the image of Christ. When you think of rituals, rituals are God's mechanism of both teaching and reinforcing the priority of God's redemption in our lives. And then redemption, the Passover celebration itself, was to be a continual remembrance and foreshadowing of the redemption the people of God would have in Jesus Christ. And it would remind them not of just ongoing change, but permanent change in their lives. When God brings his people out of his slavery, he intends it to be a permanent change. A permanent change. A permanent change. Do you know when God changes you, you don't have to be classified as a habitual backslider? It's almost like when I came from the Bible Belt South, that was almost like people's identity. Anybody remember that? You're like, no, Roland, I'm not from the South. <laughs> I understand. Can you live vicariously through me? People were like, listen, yeah, I, I, I was walking with God for a period of time, but then, you know, a little bit after that, you know, things got tough. And, you know, I got a little lonely, and then I went back to those old familiar spirits. Anybody remember the familiar spirits? You know what I'm talking about? That's what we're praying even for our college students who've gone home over the summer, right? They might get a little freedom here, right? It's like, woo, deliverance! And then they go back home, and then immediately those same patterns, right? Those same friends, those same habits try to come knocking on the door. Party! Anybody remember that? And he's like, listen, I'm trying to set you free permanently, not just presently. Permanently, not just presently. And that's what the Passover speaks to. The lamb was that which was to be sacrificed, and it was without blemish. Christ, Jesus, as we know, was our permanent, sinless lamb. He talks about being able in Hebrews to save completely, completely those who come to him, come to the Father through him. Completely, not partially, but completely, doing a complete work in you. And when the destroying angel ultimately was going to see the blood, it would, with the Israelites, pass over the homes and spare those inside. Why the blood? Because the blood represents death. And as opposed to other philosophies, when you are dead, you're gone. Except in Christ, right? In Christ, you look forward to a resurrection and a life to come. But ultimately, when the Passover blood was on the doors at that time, it represented a permanent end. Those firstborn were not coming back. Those firstborn were not coming back. And God's work is meant to be permanent in that way. When the destroying angel saw the blood, God continually was also emphasizing on the doorpost that worship and these new patterns were to begin in the home and then move into the assembly. How is God's work not just ongoing but permanent? It's permanent when it begins in the home and then moves into your public life. A lot of times we have that inverted though. We solely meet with God or relate with God in public and it effect, uh, expected to impact all other areas of our lives. But God said, let it start on the door frames, in the home. 
That means if this is the only time you're thinking about, relating to, talking about God, it's not going to be a permanent work. It's got to be something that you develop and actually consistently go to in private to cultivate that you might bear fruit when you're actually in the public place. It's not one or the other, though. What we need to make sure of is that we have both public and private, both public and a private life of faith that we can take root beneath and bear fruit above. Now, I tried my best to find a good stock photo that would actually apply to this, and I found three that sort of look alike, but at least we'll drive the point home. What's that? An apple tree. Right. Delicious, right? Anybody actually ever had an apple from a real apple tree? Well, the answer is you all have. Okay? <laughs> That's a trick question. Okay. You all have. Okay. <laughs> Just making sure we're still thinking in here. <laughs> Better question is, have you ever had an apple straight from an apple tree? <laughs> okay. Okay. Delicious. Bearing fruit, right? But let's look at this stock photo, a rendering of what's actually going on beneath. Has anyone ever dug around a tree and actually seen the root system of a tree? See, coming up to uh, Chicago, we had a home in North Carolina, and I was so always anxious about that house because of the root system there. I was like, this root system is ultimately going to kill my pipes, <laughs> you know what I mean? And like bear into the plumbing, and then eventually I'm going to have to have like, you know, these large sewer treatments, you know what I mean, outside my house. They're like, why do we always have to go past Ron's house? There's always something out there, like the stinks, the pipe, you know? I was scared. The house is gone, I'm free. See, I came where God said to go, I'm free. But the thing is, is that that's what the root system ultimately looks like. To get that former picture, can we put that former picture up? To get that picture, you got to get that picture in your life. And what we see is that apple tree roots can reach up to three times the tree's height. The root can actually be three times the height of the tree and be around 25 feet long. Even in dwarf apple trees, which are shorter than this, they have roots that can spread up to 15 feet. One of an apple tree's essential functions in the root system is stretching out and collecting water, oxygen, and nutrients from the soil. So it's like, if you want to go high with this apple tree, if you want to be fruitful with this apple tree, you got to have deep roots. And a lot of Christians are like, listen, I want to be strong in God and the strength of his might. I want to do something for Jesus in this world. Anybody like that in here? Oh. <laughs> I'm putting in my notice. <laughs> it's like, what's Anybody like that in here? Thank you. I might stay one more day. You know, listen, it's like you got to go deep if you want to go high. You've got to have a private life that matches and is even deeper than the public life you hope to have an impact with. And what God's saying is it starts in the home. It starts in the home, but then goes into the public place of worship. 
And in the public place of worship, that's when not only do you show what it is that God's done in you in the private place, but then the other people are able to eat from his fruit. You see that? God's always missional in mindset. He's always thinking, listen, it's not just about the change that I want to bring about in your life. It's also about the people who are going to come and eat from the fruit that's being born out of your life because you met with me. There was both private and public devotion. And both were important for God's ultimate kingdom purposes to be fulfilled. It's not just one or the other. And we need to stop making it about just one or the other. It is not just about your private devotion with God. God wants you to bear fruit for the healing of the nations. Yeah. It is not just about your public facade. God wants a relationship with you that produces ongoing change as you remember his deliverance in your life. And if there's an area of your life where you've been bound, God wants you to remember that he can set you free. God wants you to remember that he did it before he can do it again. That's why every single year, at the beginning of the year, he said, we're going to start with this. We're going to start with this. Maybe some of you have forgotten. Anybody ever felt like the thing that God wanted to do, I forgot because life got so way heavy for me, and I got so weighed down by my mistakes. I got so weighed down by the things that were being thrown at me, that I forgot that I could actually live different and free. That's why God says, with this Passover, I'm putting it at the beginning of your year, year, saying, I have not given up on you, Israelites. I have not given up on you, Christian. I have not given up on you, people of God. I'm reminding you again that the freedom that I have for you is a complete freedom. Don't you believe anything less. Don't you accept anything less. Because Jesus is that Passover lamb. This is where we'll land. This is where we'll land, okay? Here we go. Yes, that's what I feel like. <laughs> Jesus is the Passover lamb who saves us through both ongoing and permanent change in our lives. Jesus is a prophesied lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, yours and mine. This is why John the Baptist, in announcing Christ's public ministry, referred to Jesus in such a manner. Remember, he was baptizing people in the Jordan. Jesus started to come up, and he pointed to him and said, Look, there he is, the one we've been waiting for, the one we've been longing for, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There he is, he's shown up. 2,000 years ago, he showed up. Every Easter, we celebrate his resurrection. Every uh, Christmas, we celebrate his virgin birth, right? We're celebrating the fact that there he is, the one who came to set us free, right? And ultimately, the book of Revelation, you fast forward and you see that there was great war in the spirit over your life every day. You feel it. You try to bear up under it. You don't know how to deal with it at times. There is war going on every day for your mind, heart, and soul. But God says, listen, I'm warring on your behalf. And you, according to Revelation, are going to overcome in Christ. Overcome in Christ. By the blood of that lamb that covers not only your household, but your doors, your heart, your mind, and the word of your testimony. Because every time you say, you know what, I used to be this, but it doesn't matter if I took one step or ten. I'm different today by that ongoing work in my life. You see, you're declaring the victory of God in your life. 
You said, I've been justified, but now I'm being sanctified. Day after day after day. And every step that I take forward, it's a remembrance of the fact that God's not done with me. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Every time. Let me tell you why it's important that we show up at church. And not just, I love, I love what the pandemic pressed us into with the uh, virtual space. But there's nothing like being in the presence of God with the people of God. And having a collective faith where we're saying, God, help us. God, we're coming to this table, this memorial table. And we're saying, God, help me remember. Set me free. You know what? I'm binding my faith with the man and the woman on my right and my left. And I'm saying, where well, I can need help believing. You help me believe. You help me remember that which God has done for me and in me. Tell me that I'm different. Tell me the progress that I can't see right now. Anybody ever had somebody do that for them before? Yes. Well, let me tell you, if you haven't, it's life. It's a lifeline to you. It's the blood coming and giving you a remembrance of the testimony that God's produced for you. He was that lamb. And ultimately, it is this. In this reflection, we see Jesus as a guiltless and sinless man who stood before Pilate, declared innocent, but voluntarily accepting his sentence to pay for the sins of humanity, foreshadowed in that Passover lamb. We see that just as the Passover lamb was shorn, Jesus was stripped naked and crucified. We acknowledge that the Passover lamb was a male, a year old, still Christ on the cross in the prime of his manhood, around 34 years of age, died for us. Jesus was at the height of his strength and with that strength humbled himself to bear the wrath of God so that we might be forgiven and set free from our bondage to sin. Every time we participate, even in communion, we're remembering this fact. We're remembering these facts and saying, God, I can be free. God, you've set me free. God, you're establishing rituals, rhythms, and a remembrance, a permanent remembrance of the redemption that you've brought in my life. So that I might dig real deep in the private place and then publicly bear fruit above. Ongoing change, permanent change through our path of the land. Amen. Father, we thank you. We thank you, God, for your work in each and every one of us. We thank you that, God, it's continually an invitation by the person of Christ and the power of your Holy Spirit to not only bring us into right relationship with you through justification, but an ongoing and, yes, even a permanent work in our lives through your sanctification. And, God, we're praying that today, Today, God, you would, through the Holy Spirit, expose those areas that we've still been holding on to, the areas even where we've been discouraged, the areas that we've relented and said, you know what, this is just the way it is. I've become accustomed to it, and this is going to be me. God, we pray that you would reach down by the Holy Spirit today into each and every person's heart and Highlight those areas and let the word bring light 
and your spirit and bring life. God, we pray that you would set people free today. In Jesus' name, as we remember your redemption, your life, your miracles, and your resurrection. And if there's anybody in here who says, you know what? I've never given my life fully to Jesus Christ, the sinless, blameless Lamb of God who came for not only the sin of the world, but my sin. But I want to do that today. I want to start by praying for you. Is there anyone in here who says, this is my moment, I need to okay. Anyone else? I need to give my life to Jesus. Okay, good. All right, well, Lord, I do just pray for these people today. And God, I pray that by the power of your word and the Holy Spirit, you would make them new. That they would be born again. That God, you would give them the faith to turn away from sin and also the faith to walk out of bondage and into life. God, I pray that you would do it not in just a moment, but in an ongoing way forever. In Jesus' name. And for anyone else who says, you know what, I just I feel God highlighting certain things in my life that I've become accustomed to, I've held on to, but I want to lay it down at the cross today. I've already, I've already been walking with Jesus, but I've held certain things to myself, and I've said, God, you can have all these other areas, but this one's mine. But you say, God, I want you to help me to lay it all down today. That like Chambers said, you might be my first, my second, and my third priority, that I might continue to walk with you face to face. If that's you, would you raise your hand? I want to pray for you. Okay, anyone else? Okay, God, I pray for my brothers and sisters. In your kindness, God. In your kindness, because you're so kind. Would you lead us to repentance? A change of mind, a change of heart. Where we would say the things that you say, think the things that you think ultimately do the things that you do. God, may you give us not only the joy of our salvation, but the power to walk in the freedom, the complete freedom of that salvation. God, I pray that uh, my brothers and sisters would not only connect with you and build deep root systems, but also connect them with one another to receive that daily encouragement that as we're changing, we might not be hardened by sin's deceitfulness, but might walk with you in ever-increasing joy because of that ever-increasing freedom. God bless them. In Jesus' name, amen.